Satan couldn't kill the Jewish Messiah. So what does he do? He vents his hatred on the people who gave the world the Messiah. And that's been his pattern all the way through human history. But it's going to intensify at the end of time. You talk about persecution on the Jews. They haven't seen anything yet. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we have been looking at two individuals identified in chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Last week, we noted that the woman that's referred to in this passage is the nation Israel. And as we pick up today, Pastor Carl begins reading from verse 3 and notes that the red dragon is the devil himself. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Now the seven heads, the ten horns, the seven diadems are going to be explained in great depth in Revelation 13 and 17. And we've already seen, we've experienced it a few times. John will just drop a little preview and then he'll explain it later. He's dropping a preview here, but in chapters 13 and 17 of the Revelation, he is going to unfold it for us. And he will interpret this for us. You might want to write over the word seven heads, 17 colon 9 for Revelation 17, 9. Because there we learn that the seven heads represent seven mountains. And then over 10 horns, write 17 colon 12, 17 colon 12. Because there we're told that 10 horns represent 10 kings. Now, horns in the Bible, if you're with us in our study of Daniel, and there is reason to this madness, why do we study a Daniel before Revelation? Because Daniel, in many ways, unlocks a lot of the symbolism in the Revelation. Some of you are new to the church, and you told me that you're studying the book of Daniel, and what a huge help it is to you right now as you study the Revelation, and it will be. And some of us need to go back maybe and review it. But if you remember, horns in the Bible are a symbol of power, and heads are a symbol of wisdom. And it's magnified by the adjective seven heads, because seven is the number of completion or perfection as it's used in Scripture. And so the devil has seven heads because he's full of wisdom. Remember what Ezekiel said, thus says the Lord God, you have the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, again, I won't spend a lot of time on this because we're going to study these 10 kings later that are going to come together as a confederation of nations, and amongst them will come an 11th nation from which the Antichrist will come. But let me just say for now, the common fallacy that the devil is ugly and stupid could be is so far from the truth you can't even believe it. When he was created, he was one of the most beautiful creatures God ever made. And he is by no means a dummy. God gifted and blessed him full of wisdom. And of course, now he's using his intellect for evil. He's not some ugly creature. He's one of the most beautiful creatures God ever made, and he's not stupid. He is smart, he's clever, and wise in the realm of evil. Now, we've just cracked the door on what John says 
a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And as we'll see, as John will do over and over again, he'll come back and he'll detail it for us. So hold on to your pew belt, and we'll come to it later, all right? Now, beyond the description of the dragon, let's think for a moment about the destruction of the dragon, the destruction of the dragon. Now, while Satan wars with Israel, by sneak preview with greater details to follow, we're going to learn that ultimately his war is with the Lord Jesus. Look, if you will, now at verse 4. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, And the dragon stood before the woman, we saw it was Israel, who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now again, Lucifer was once a beautiful angel, but one day he decided he was too wise and wanted to exalt himself above the stars and be like God himself. You can read of that in Isaiah 14. And 14 times 2 is 28. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. That's how I remembered it anyway. Um, but we've seen already in the Revelation that the word stars is sometimes used of literal stars that you look up in the heavens at night and see. But also in the Old and in the New Testament, stars can also be used metaphorically of angelic beings. And we will study next time in the Revelation the career of Satan. So you come back for that. It's very important. But John reveals for us the number of angels that rebelled with Satan. We don't learn that in the Old Testament. That's a New Testament revelation. That a third of the stars, a third of the angels fell with Satan. Now, we know the ultimate end of all of these fallen angels, it will be the lake of fire. Satan's not in hell. People say, well, the devil's in hell and he's after you. Satan's never been to hell. He's not there. He will be someday. He's coming, but he's not there yet. In either case, just think for just a moment. In in Revelation 9, we saw the release of 200 million demons. Just for the sake of argument, and that's not all of them by any stretch. That's just one category of demons, 200 million that are released. Let's say there's 200, 300 million demons. That means God created approximately a billion angels to start with. Is it any wonder when Elisha is there with his servant, you can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 6, and he's afraid there's a lot of them and there's a few of us, and he prays, open his eyes, Lord, that he might see who's really on our side. And the heavens are filled with the chariots of fire with the angels of God defending them. But notice here the graphic picture of Satan's hatred here in verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Now, of course, the woman pictures Israel and through Israel, the child, the Messiah of the world comes. But when the Messiah comes to the earth, the devil is just waiting to devour this little baby. Now, when did the conflict begin? Well, Moses tells us in Genesis 3.15. And all the way through the Old Testament, you see this war of Satan against the Jewish people. Why? Because God reveals the Messiah of the world is going to come through Israel. Remember Pharaoh? He thought, I'll get rid of these Jewish boys. We'll have every little boy slaughtered and killed. And so what does God call Pharaoh in the book of Ezekiel? A dragon. Why? Because he's one of Satan's servants behind much anti-Semitism. Very often it's the devil himself. Think about King Nebuchadnezzar. He hated the Jewish people. What does God call King Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah? A dragon. 
He was a murderer from the beginning. Remember at one point in Israel's history, Messiah is going to come from Israel. He's going to come from a certain tribe in Israel, the tribe of Judah. And so there's a legitimate flow of kings as to who can sit on the throne. And so Satan tries to destroy every possible Jewish male who could take the throne, but he misses one. And one dear woman hides her in the temple, Joash, for some six years. And so when Jesus Christ is born, who's against him? King Herod. Now, there are seven Herods in the Bible. Don't confuse them. Most of us at least know Herod the Great, right? He's the one that you deal with primarily at the birth of Christ. And Herod Antipas, he's the one that Jesus stands before. But Herod the Great realized through the religious leaders of Israel, where's Messiah going to be born? Bethlehem of Judea. So the wise men come. It probably takes them approximately six months to come from the east. And just to make sure he doesn't lose a single candidate, he has every boy two years and under slaughtered. Because he wants to guarantee that the Messiah will be exterminated. And all the way through human history, not only do you have the drama of the Christmas story, but you have Hitler and one leader after another trying to exterminate the Jewish people because he hates the Jewish people. But we're going to see when we come to verse 12 in a few weeks, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Satan has always had a deep hatred for the Jews. Look, there's no other people in the face of the earth who have been hated like the Jewish people. None in all of recorded history. Why do you suppose that? Well, look, he can't harm the Lord Jesus. We'll see in a moment why. But he can harm Israel, and he can harm those who give allegiance to Israel. Let's move to the next point. We'll run out of time otherwise. Beyond the animosity towards the woman, uh, let's consider finally the prospect for the woman. The prospect for the woman. In verses 5 and 6, he tells us about the prospect or the future of this woman called Israel. And he underscores two realities. First, the woman is given the victorious Messiah. She's not given a loser. <laughs> She's given the victorious Messiah. We read now in verse 5, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And the child was caught up to God into his throne. So she gave birth, and that refers to Israel, because as you study the Old Testament, the whole nation is involved in the bringing of the Messiah, though Mary obviously alone delivers him. And they gave birth to a male child that, as we'll see, can only refer to the Lord Jesus. Now, it's kind of interesting because he takes this male child from his cradle to the crown. He's caught up into heaven, which is where he is today, at the right hand of the Father. And he doesn't deal with any of the intervening details. He doesn't deal with his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And in all of those things, of course, Satan and all of his attacks against Jesus was totally defeated. But he wants the readers, especially in this future day, but for us as well, to know that we are on the winning side, that we have a victorious, sovereign Lord who is ruling and reigning, and he is coming again to rule the nations with a rod of iron. A male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God into his throne. 
Satan failed to destroy Jesus at his birth. He failed to destroy him during his life when he brought him out there to that corner of the temple and tried to get him to bow down and worship him. And he failed. He thought he was victorious in the death, but Jesus made spectacle of over him and all the demonic realm, the Bible says, through the blood of his cross. And now he's ascended into heaven and he can't touch Jesus, but he can touch the Jews, those whom Jesus loves. Now, some people have asked me before, not too often, but a few times, why didn't Jesus just stay on earth? Why did he ascend into heaven after the resurrection? Why didn't he just stay here? Well, there's several reasons. It's a sermon in itself. But remember, God made some promises to Israel. And because he came to his own and his own received him not, that for the most part they were in unbelief. Messiah could not yet rule and reign upon the earth. And there are many other reasons for the ascension. The ascension is prophesied in the Old Testament. God said it would happen. It's prophesied in Psalm 66. And the apostle Paul quotes Psalm 66 in reference to the ascension in Ephesians 4. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. One function of the ascension is it emptied out Sheol. If you lived on the other side of the cross, when you died, you went to righteous Sheol or unrighteous Sheol. Unrighteous Sheol is also called hell. It's a place of torment. Righteous Sheol is also called Abraham's bosom. But it was not absent from the body present with the Lord. Why? Because Messiah had not yet died in time and space and made a provision for your sin to be wiped away and for you to be credited with holiness. So the ascension, God takes out the spirits of all those dead Old Testament saints. They await the resurrection of their body as we do today for our loved ones. Today, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But Jesus is ascended in heaven and other reasons for the ascension. What is he doing there this morning? He's praying for you. You ever think about that? It's sobering to me sometimes. Jesus is praying for me and for you. Does that motivate you to failure or to be an answer to his prayer? I hope the latter. He's preparing a place for you. It's going to be nice. He's had 2,000 years. <laughs> he cleansed the temple in heaven. He said, it's to your benefit. I tell you the truth. It's to your benefit that I go away. And he sent the Spirit, just as he said. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to heaven and to his throne. Where does that come from? Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verse 9. In fact, in the book of Acts, in the early chapters, they quote this very psalm, Psalm 2, as being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And so Satan may think he's on the winning team, but he's not, and it's going to be revealed to him, and we'll study it next week. He's only got a short time left. Look at verse 13. I'll give you a sneak preview. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Satan couldn't kill the Jewish Messiah. So what does he do? He vents his hatred on the people who gave the world the Messiah. And that's been his pattern all the way through human history. But it's going to intensify at the end of time. You talk about persecution on the Jews. They haven't seen anything yet. Finally, not only does Israel give us a victorious Messiah who will reign the world, the woman is given protection from God. 
There's a protection that some of the Jews will know. We'll study it. Look at verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now look at this slide for a moment. Again, we are reminded that in the first half of the tribulation period, Israel is protected. The Antichrist then goes into the temple, a rebuilt temple. He makes himself out to be God. There's an act of idolatry that takes place that will show the Jews that he can't possibly be the Messiah. And then he will persecute Israel. And so in the prophet Daniel, in the words of Jesus, in the words of Paul, and in the words of John, this seven-year period is divided into three and a half years called a time, times, and half a times, 1,260 days or 42 months. It's not by accident. And so God is going to protect some of Israel, and they're going to go to a place in the wilderness. Some think it's Petra. Some of you have been there with me. We'll talk about that, so I'll just say that. You say, what does this have all to do with me, Pastor? All Scripture is given by inspiration, and it's profitable. You say, I'm not sure how this applies to me. Let me give you three applications, okay? And we'll close. Number one, I learned from this section of Scripture, just these few verses, that Satan hates Jesus, and he hates the Jews, and by application and extension, he hates you. We have been reminded just briefly this morning, but it's going to be expanded as we work through this book, that there is a deep-rooted hatred today for the Jewish people. And if you've been a Christian for very long, then you know that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He hates you. Someone asked me, they've asked that a few times, actually. It's a good question. It's a fair question. And I love, I, I just, I wish I could still teach the discovery class because I love the questions and the honesty that comes out of that classroom. They said, Jesus said, love your enemies. Should we love the devil? said, no, you should hate him. He is confirmed in his fallen state. Angels cannot be redeemed. People can be. There's a reason for that. You should hate him with all your might because he hates you. And he is the one who is working through the anti-Semitism of Hitler or Stalin. And what's happening today in Western Europe What's happening in the Muslim world? Iran wants to exterminate the Jewish people. Repeatedly, they will have their rallies on Friday. And if you read the transcripts, which I do from time to time, they want to literally drive the Jewish people into the sea. They've not changed their tune one bit. They are willing to sacrifice their own sons and daughters on some occasions. Recently, in one nationally published magazine, one Muslim mother said this of her son, who strapped a vest to himself and took out 10 Jewish men. She said, because I love my son, I encouraged him to die a martyr's death for the sake of Allah. Jihad is a religious obligation encumbered upon us, and we must carry it out. I sacrificed my son as a part of my obligation. I asked Allah to give me 10 Israelis for my son, and Allah granted my request. My son made his dream come true, killing 10 Israeli settlers and soldiers. Argon honored him even with more than that, and that many Israelis were wounded. Now, if that's not from the pit of hell, I don't know what is. Muslim extremists 
have a so-called faith where they are called to die for God. Where Christianity is centered in God coming to die for us. It is so different from what they teach. Muslim extremists die so that others can die. Our Savior comes and dies so that others can live. Satan is anti-Christ, anti-Jew, anti-born-again Christian, anti-Israel. He hates Israel, he hates Jesus, and he hates you. Secondly, I'm reminded that just as God loves Israel with an everlasting love, so he loves us. Just as God loves Israel with an everlasting love, so He loves us. Let me read to you from the prophet Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And then he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. You say, well, again, Pastor, I'm not sure how this relates to me. Well, listen, any thoughtful, especially Jewish born-again believer, you don't give up your Jewishness when you believe in Yeshua any more than I gave up my Italian and Irish blood that flows through my veins. You're still a Jew, but a completed Jew. And again, the early church was asking, and naturally so, if God really loved our nation with an everlasting love, it appears that He has forsaken our nation. And of course, Paul goes through in Romans 8, can anything separate us from the love of God? And he goes through every conceivable category, but then the person would say, well, wait a minute. You've said this before, that God loved us with an everlasting love. What about his people Israel? So 9, 10, and 11, it's not some parenthesis in the book. It's an extension of his argument. In 9, he chose them. In 10, they rejected him. But in 11... He will restore them as a people. Listen, you can bank on it. That as God loves Israel with an eternal love, He loves you. Third and finally, God will keep every promise to Israel. And if He will do that, He will keep every promise He made to you and to me. Now remember, God made an unconditional covenant with Israel. And if you don't know what that is, go back and listen to the message on Revelation 7. It's really important to understanding the future of Israel. It has nothing to do with their obedience. It has everything to do with God. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses writes, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, God made some promises to Israel that he is going to keep because, again, they are unconditional in nature, and it has nothing to do with the obedience of Israel. He will never, ever abandon the Jew, as some of our dear Reformed brothers are teaching. Listen to these words and listen carefully. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If, listen to these if-then statements. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the nations above, excuse me, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. 
As far as I know, the fixed order of the sun, moon, and stars are still there. The universe hasn't disappeared. We find out every year it's a little bigger than we thought the year before. God hasn't abandoned Israel. It's the only country in the history of the world that has the same piece of property, that speak the same language, that have the same faith, that have the same name in 4,000 years of history. There's no other nation like that in the history of humanity. Now, you may come from a persecuted people, but no one has ever been persecuted like the Jews. And there are about 7 million Jews surrounded by some 200 million Muslims who hate them. And by the way, the Muslims are not our enemy. We should try to win them to Jesus just like we should win nominal Jews and nominal Christians as well. We all need a Savior, and His name is Yeshua. Nicodemus came to Jesus one night, and he thought, because he was a teacher of Israel, the child of Abraham, that he was okay. And Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And he said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? And the answer very simply is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I went over it quickly, but I don't know if you noticed it in verse 6. God said he had for the people of Israel a place prepared. That phraseology is used only one other time in all the Bible. And God has a place prepared. Literally, that's the order of the words. For you in heaven, if you're one of his. Are you part of his kingdom? You can be. God wants you to be. And wisdom would dictate that you would call upon him today. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. You've given it to us for our edification. Thank you that you are a consistent God, that you never change, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that every promise you have made, you will keep. Thank you that we can take that to the bank. Help us to plead your promises, to learn your word, to mesh our lives in it. In this day of soiled preaching, of compromise, where your character is denied concerning your promises to Israel. Unfortunately, Father, by some of well-meaning believers, help us to study and show ourselves approved as workmen who are not ashamed, accurately handing, handling the word of truth. Give us a heart in this day of 15-minute sermons to pursue the word of God, to find out what is really going on in the world, that we might live not for the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Father, I pray today for someone listening within the sound of my voice. They're not really sure that they are a member of the kingdom of God, that heaven is their home. Help them to see by your spirit that Jesus died for all of their sin, not some of it or most of it, but all of it, bore it in his own body on the cross once for all time, and you raised him from the dead, announcing that he is Lord. Thank you that whoever will call on his name will be saved. Help someone today, Father, in simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save even me. I ask it, Father, in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 12, verses 1 to 6, 
Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV28. Search the Scriptures is committed to introducing unbelievers to Christ and to growing believers in their love and knowledge of the Savior. If you can help with a one-time or ongoing gift, please call 877-787-7478 or click the Give button at our website, searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow we begin a look at the war in heaven. Join us in our ongoing study of the Revelation as we search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures.